0: Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. There's some times when you know that you hear from God, I'm not going to lie to you, there's other times when... As a pastor, you study to show yourself approved, and you go through, and, and you try your best to teach God's Word. And there's moments when you feel like, okay, God ordained this, and you know that you know that you know that. And I appreciate all of your comments and the people that have just said, Pastor, that was for me. And, um, you know, when a series like this is coming to an end, it's it's always... It's always special to me. And so today I'm going to try and do this series justice as we bring it to a close. Let me review really quick where we've been in this series. I told you that first week that life can, can be mundane. We just go through the routine and the rhythm of life. Everybody has it. Don't let it alarm you. Somebody in this room, I can assure you, you're stuck in the mundane right now. And, and that's all right because life is like that. It's, it's very extraordinary rather than extraordinary. And that first week, we looked at the life of a very ordinary person in the Bible named Isaac. Isaac was the son of Abraham, who was a great man of faith. And he was the father of Jacob, whose life had a dramatic turnaround. And so Isaac's life, as I told you, is sandwiched between these two great men of the faith, Abraham and Jacob. And so that first week, we looked at two thoughts about ordinary people. And and I I really want to drive these home today because I, I think it's so important for us. The first point was this, is that God uses ordinary people to serve extraordinary people. God uses ordinary people to serve extraordinary people. And I saw it again today. Man, I'm telling you, our, our sit-up and, and tear-down team, they're so faithful. And today I watched people walk into this room and not just set chairs out and set signage out and all that, being faithful to that, but I saw them go the extra mile and, and and wipe down you know fingerprints on windows. And I watched them get a blower out. I don't even know where the blower came from. We don't have one over here. They found one in a custodial closet somewhere, and they were blowing off the sidewalks and stuff because... Because ordinary people will serve extraordinary people, and they think that about you. They think that, it, that you're worth serving, and so I, I watched that unfold. And then I also told you that first week is that God uses ordinary people to influence extraordinary people, And that happens in many areas in our lives, but parents, don't negate the fact that God put children in your home, extraordinary people for you to influence. So guide them, lead them, and even today, I believe you're going to be challenged as you influence those that God put in your care. And Isaac's life may not have been the most exciting, but God used him to serve and influence extraordinary people. And then the second week, I told you that when God puts the extraordinary people together with other extraordinary people, that then he allows us to accomplish the extraordinary. It's amazing how that happens. It's it's the march of the mundane. And, And I read to you some very mundane verses out of the Bible where Jesus chose 12 average men to pour into and to prepare them for the birth of the church that he was going to put it in their hands and say, you listen, I'm going to the Father, but you are going to birth this thing. You are going to be the one through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you are going to be the ones that I believe in charge of this. And just ordinary people, ordinary mundane people, but, but it's amazing how God does the extraordinary through them. And I told you, I said, we're useless by ourselves, but we're extraordinary within the body of Christ, amen? How many of you know today, you're useless by yourself? You know that, right? If, if you've got a pride issue, we can open up the altars right now. and You come down and pray right here. You're useless by yourselves. You are. I'm useless by myself. But within the body of Christ, I'm extraordinary, and so are you. And then last week, I spoke about spiritual common sense. Now, spiritual common sense is not what most people th- believe that it is. Spiritual common sense says that I will continue to do the ordinary. I will continue to do the common until God opens the door to the extraordinary. That I'm going to go through the motions of life. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. That I'm okay with living in the ordinary, common, everyday life. Because I know that the extraordinary can be right around the corner. It may be tomorrow. It may be a year from now. It may be ten years from now. But all it takes is one word from the master. All he has to do is just say my name. And when he calls me, then everything changes for my life. And we read in Exodus chapter 1 where the Hebrews were forced to learn trades that would benefit the Egyptians. And for over 400 years, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. And this was not the life that they would have chosen if they would have been given a choice. But for this generation of Jews, this was all that they knew. They were born into slavery. And so this becomes the ordinary for them. They don't know any different. And then God leads them out of Egypt and they are, are, are now part of a portable tent society. And, and some of their trade skills were useless in this setting. I mean, if you were a bricklayer, it's not like you're going to be laying brick when all you do is travel and set up tents and tear down tents and move to the next place uh, as God leads you. But there was this one man that we read about by the name of Bezalel who was an unemployed bricklayer, basically wandering in the wilderness. He was a craftsman, and in one moment, he was called by God to do the extraordinary. We read about him in Exodus chapter 31, where God handpicks him to build the tabernacle and the sacred contents of it. He is the foreman that will oversee all of the building and the construction of all the sacredness that God would place in and around that tabernacle. And I told you, don't despise your occupational woes and your career hardships because they just might be the very things that God uses to prepare you for the extraordinary work that he wants to do through you. Without the touch of God, you're just a worker. But with the touch of God, you're a master craftsman. You need to realize that you go through the mundane, you go through the ordinary, and you're faithful to it because you must be faithful over the small things before God can make you a ruler over many. Amen? And so today... I want to end this series with the final installment titled Out of the Ordinary. Right out of high school, I played the drums on the road with a band called Strongheart. You've probably never heard of us. Most people have never heard of us. We traveled through the southeastern United States on a Silver Eagle tour bus. I'll tell you, we were the band, we were the bus drivers. We were the autograph signers and we were the road crew. And it wasn't a very glamorous life at all. And for two and a half years out of high school, that's what I did. I was the drummer for Strongheart. And, and I know I know you're thinking, man, wow what I'm, I'm, I'm telling you we would literally walk off the stage, go back to a product table in the back. you remember the old eight by ten glossies of, of bands, and we would sign we'd have our Sharpies, and we'd sign those when everybody left the building we'd change clothes and we were the road crew we'd come up and tear everything down, and then we would get on the bus. I remember one time our bus broke down the side of the road and we had to call and somewhere up in, in North Georgia and we had to call this welder to come and weld our axle housing back together and we'd we stood out on the side of the road with a flare in our hand waving traffic by. I'm telling you, we were the grunts of it. We, we, we did it all. It was not glamorous by any means. But one night, one night we had the opportunity to play at a millionaire's ranch for his wife's birthday party. That's what she wanted for her birthday. I don't know why, but she wanted Strongheart to play at her birthday party. And so he was paying big bucks, and so that's what we did. We went, we pulled our big bus up, and and we started unloading it. And and we didn't have a stage, but they had a huge front porch. And so we went, and we set up all of our equipment, lights, everything on this front porch of of their house. And and they had a a, grassy lawn out in front, and that's where everybody was going to come. About 100 of her closest friends and family members were going to be there for her birthday party to hear Strongheart play. They probably weren't excited about it either. I tell some of you are just unimpressed and I don't blame you. We were very ordinary and average, but that that was the plan. And so here's where the story kind of gets a little bit complicated. Because most of you know, I'm not a country boy, much less a cowboy. And we're playing at a ranch. And I was informed that the ranch owner, this millionaire, for his wife's birthday party, he expected us to wear cowboy boots, jeans, and some type of Western shirt. And I'm just telling you right now, I don't look good in that kind of stuff. Now somebody came to me after the first service and said, man, you preached right at me today. And I'm thinking, praise God, conviction fell on their life. And He pointed down at his boots. And I was like, dude, I'm sorry, man, I'm sorry. Listen, I have riding boots that I ride my motorcycle with. I can wear those. But even with those, I don't like walking into restaurants or businesses and things like that. They're strictly made for me to ride. You know, square-toe riding boots is what I wear. But I just don't look good in cowboy boots. And some of you do. You look good in cowboy boots. But, but Pastor Rocky does not. I don't look good in cowboy boots. I don't look good in Western attire. It's just bad. Those of you that went to uh, the, the two years ago to our Valentine's party where it was all Western-themed, you know I look horrible in that kind of stuff. It was bad. And and so, but that was his wish. He, well, not his wish. I I, I came to find out it was his command. If we're going to play and we're going to get paid, he wants the whole band in jeans, boots, and a Western shirt. And, and I put up a fight. I was like, "Man, I don't ever wear that kind of stuff." I mean, some of the other band members, we were what you called Christian country, is what it was, and it was kind of a new genre of music. And so, uh, it wasn't southern gospel, but, but but you know, it was it was Christian country, is what they called it. And so, some of the the band members up towards the front of the stage, sometimes they would wear boots and you know stuff like that. But but I'm stuck back behind the drums, and so I got away with wearing stuff that the other guys couldn't wear. You know, I was always presentable, but but I put up a fight. I did not want to wear the western attire it's not me it's not who I am and, and I was pretty much told this is what you are going to do and so I walked out of that bus getting ready to go on stage I had on my Python skin cowboy boots two tight Wrangler jeans and a way too busy Garth Brooks style shirt you know what I'm talking about, like the black ones that have like the the, like the thunderbolts, you know, coming over. You know what I'm talking about. You've seen it. He's making a comeback, so I'm. I, I think these shirts are going to come back. You know, or the real bold stripes on the shirts, you know, that kind of thing. And so that's how I was dressed, and I was. Miserable. I pouted all the way up to that drum kit. I mean, I'm just, you know, just, and I get behind those drums, and we kick off that first song, and everything lights up, and I look at it, that crowd and all 100 of her personal close friends and family members, they're all dressed like we are. They're all in their Western attire. Some of the men are wearing cowboy hats. I mean, they are all into this and at that moment, I realized that, that I was blending right in. As ridiculous as I looked, I blended in. The dress code for that group of people, the ordinary dress code, what, what made you blend in was Western attire, it was the norm and to wear anything else would have been abnormal. Now stay with me because this is so important. This is what happens in the lives of many believers. Because everybody deep down inside of you, you've got this desire to fit in, to be wanted, to be accepted. And here's the problem. And it's only going to get worse, but, but here's the problem with that. To live a life that reflects the word of God would make us look abnormal to the society that we live in. And I knew it. I knew first first service didn't amen me, and you're not going to amen me, because this is tough, man. I'm telling you, what I'm about to preach to you right now, I'm praying it brings about conviction, but not condemnation. There is nobody here judging you, particularly me. Man, I I am a chief of sinners. I, I can't judge anybody. But here's what I know. If I live my life according to this and by the standards that this sets, I know that it makes me look abnormal in society. Because ordinary is not so ordinary anymore. An ordinary life at one time, it it was being married to one person until one or the other dies. That's what ordinary used to look like. Divorce, is, 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 it's an epidemic right now. And, and I do more marriage counseling and, than, than any other counseling that I do. I mean, it is, my, my calendar is just full of that kind of stuff. And I'm telling you, it used to not be the norm. At one time, people stayed married until one or the other died. An ordinary life at one time, it was coming home from work at a decent hour to spend quality time with your family. That's what it looked like. That was a priority. Ordinary meant living within your means and not trying to buy what you could not afford. That's what ordinary looked like. And and right or wrong, at one time, ordinary people cared about what others thought about them. Like I said, right or wrong, ordinary people cared about what others thought about them. So they would guard their image publicly as not to be scrutinized. But this isn't the ordinary anymore, church. Society's changed us because that's not ordinary standards anymore. That's just not the way it looks. Ordinary has changed. And so ordinary today is quitting on a marriage when you get tired of it or when the grass looks greener on the other side. You see, that's accepted right now in our society. That's perfectly fine. That's what ordinary is. Ordinary today is caring more about money and promotion than you do about your own family. That's what ordinary looks like today Ordinary is now going into debt way over uh, what you can afford just to have what somebody else already has. That's what ordinary looks like. And ordinary today is people that have this entitlement mentality that says, don't judge me. And they sin blatantly and they, they sin purposefully and they no longer care about their testimony or how others view them. That's what normal is. That's what ordinary looks like in our society today. And the problem with ordinary is that God has never called his people to look like everybody else. From the moment he established his people, the Hebrews, from the moment he established them, he went out of his way to make sure that they did not worship like everybody else, that they didn't look like everybody else, that they were very distinct from the way the the rest of the world looked. And so God has never, ever called his people to look like everybody else. Romans 12 and 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, don't become like the world. Listen to Proverbs 1 and 15. It says, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. Don't go down the same road that they're going. If they're walking in that direction, turn and go the other way. And then Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven and verse 13, he says, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. He says, there's a lot of people that go through the wide gate. It's an easier road. It's it's just easier. You can satisfy the lust of your flesh by going through the wide gate. But he says, that's the one that leads to destruction. And Jesus said, you need to enter through the narrow gate. It's a road that's less traveled, and that's the road that you need to go down to look different than everybody else. And so when it comes to how we live our ordinary lives, we are called out of the ordinary. It's only going to get worse. The way that our society is, is, is epically changing on a day-to-day basis, Christianity, it looks like we don't have a fighting chance, but let me say this, it's only going to get worse before it gets better. Because when Christ comes, it gets better. And he's looking for a church without blemish, spotless, blameless. I can't accomplish that on my own, but I tell you, together, we can do the extraordinary. I I looked up the definition of out of the ordinary, and it means exceptional. Exceptional. I can't do that. On my own ability, I cannot be exceptional. Nobody's ever gonna look at me and think under his own ability and power, he's an exceptional person because I don't have the ability to do that. But I know that through the ability and the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit working and operating in my life, I can be exceptional. It also means unusual. Now, let me ask you this. Just just put yourself right in the middle of this sermon. When's the last time you walked into a room and people looked at you and thought, there's something unusual about them. There's something that's strange. I, I can't quite put my finger on it, but there's something that's, that's not like everybody else. Because I'm telling you, the more and more our society changes, the more and more the church changes, and the less moments we have like that where we are walking into a room and being unusual. I'm going to read very quickly out of Numbers chapter 6, and then I'm going to be reading from from Judges. If you will, I want you to go ahead and turn to Judges, and we'll be there in just a moment. But but listen to this vow that is in Numbers chapter 6. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 8. I want you to listen to this vow and how distinct this particular group of people is called to be. God specifically gives them an outline of what they are to look like. And so, so here's what God says to Moses in verse 1 of Numbers chapter 6. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink, and shall not drink any juice of grapes or eat grapes fresh or dried, All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins. Verse 5 says, All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall touch his head until the time is completed for which he separates himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. He shall let the locks of hair of his head grow long. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. Now listen, what I just read to you is commonly referred to as the Nazarite vow. Some of you in the room may have heard about it. Most of you probably have not. But the word Nazirite to describe these people, it comes from the Hebrew term Nazir, which means to consecrate or to separate. It means you are to come out from among the ordinary. You are not to look like them. You are not to act like them. And the purpose of this vow was to set aside a person's life to serve in the tabernacle or in the temple. If they were not of the bloodline of Aaron, then they did not qualify to be priests because only priests uh, only from the bloodline of Aaron could priests come out of. And so these people that wished to serve in the tabernacle or in the temple, they could take the Nazarite vow. They would live a life that was very different from everybody else in society. And so they would consecrate themselves and make this defined separation in order to serve the kingdom of God in the tabernacle. If you saw one of them, if you looked at one of them, you knew that that was a Nazarite. You knew that that person had taken the Nazarite vow. A- and God was very plain. If a person wants to take the Nazarite vow, then they must, first of all, make a public formal vow to God. It has to be something that is public. They must abstain from drinking wine or, f- or fermented liquor. They must phys- physically, they must look different by letting their hair grow out. And they must never come into contact with a dead person, with a corpse. They Can never. And if accidentally, maybe maybe if you're sitting there and somebody dies next to you, and as they're falling, the Bible actually describes this a little bit, as they're falling, their their hand kind of touches your hair. If that happens, then there are distinct guidelines, and there's a ritual that has to take place, a ceremony that has to take place before the high priest to cleanse you so that you can stay, you know, consecrated into your Nazarite vow. I'm telling you, these people were abnormal. They didn't look like everybody else. They didn't act like everybody else, but they had a vow and a commitment that allowed them to serve and have access to the holy things that the ordinary people could not that's key don't miss that because they had access to holy things that the normal people didn't the ordinary people they didn't have the same rights and privileges as those that had taken the Nazarite vow you see we go through life sometimes comparing our spiritual life to somebody else and we wonder why. Why is that person more blessed? Why, why, why does God use them and not me? And I'll tell you, most of the time what I realize in dealing with people is that some people, they, they just consecrate themselves and separate themselves a little bit more than other people. As, as hard as that is for some people to hear, you, you need to understand that. There's some people that they set their lives aside for higher purposes and and, and therefore God allows them to have access to holy things that just ordinary people cannot. There was a distinct separation from society for those that took the Nazarite vow. You could say that God called them out of the ordinary because they were no longer like everybody else in society. They were no longer like the, the normal Jews or the normal Hebrews. Now they were called out of that. And sometimes I just wonder, stay with me and and just, just humor me for a moment. Sometimes I wonder if that's not the call on our lives. I, I'm not telling you to, to take the Nazarite vow, you know, because you know some people are gonna be like, well, nobody should drink, you shouldn't drink, or, but, but then you can't eat grapes either, and then you gotta let your hair grow out and all that kind of stuff. I'm not sitting here trying to be legalistic and trying to say live by all those guidelines, but here's what I am saying. What if, what if God is convicting your heart over something that he wants to use in your life to separate you from society? What if there's something in your life that God says, this keeps you from entering into the holy places. This keeps you from, from being a part of, of the miraculous things that I want to do because you're not willing to give these things up. Now, I know this is tough. And just like the first service, you're not amen in me. And that's fine because I'm going to preach it anyway. Because I know what this has done for my life. I know what I've consecrated in my life. I know what I've set aside, and I know how God has opened doors of ministry for me that would have never happened had I not taken the vow or, or said, Lord, this, this, as for me and my house, we will serve you. We are not going to do this. We are not going to do that. And, Lord, I'm consecrating my life. I'm not telling you that, that w- what's happening in your life is sinful. I'm saying it may be holding you back from the supernatural that God wants to put in your life. Amen. The Bible has numerous people who made lifestyle changes for the sake of the kingdom of God. Society does not dictate my culture. The kingdom of God dictates my culture. And there are people throughout God's word that they knew this. We, we know that in the book of Daniel, we read of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they... Right at the beginning of the book, they would not eat the king's food or drink. They were taken captivity into Babylon, and they would not eat or drink the, the, the king's food or drink the, the, the king's wine, and they were separated from all the other exiles. All the other exiles, they were eating the king's food, eating, drinking the, the, the king's wine, and because these men, these young men would not, God blessed them with a better appearance than all the other ones, and, and they were smarter, and they had more wisdom than all of the others, and God was able to, to use them and promote them with in that kingdom. Later on in that same book of Daniel, we read of, those, uh, of three of those four Hebrew boys. I don't know where Daniel was at in this. It doesn't really say. I mean, he's writing the book and he fails to mention himself, but I do know that three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that when King Nebuchadnezzar sets up this golden statue in the middle of the desert, they said you could see the glimmer of it from miles and miles away. And he was just so full of himself and he commanded everybody to be brought in and at the sound of the music, everybody was to kneel down and to worship this image of him. He was so vain. And in the middle of that desert, there's three Hebrew boys that they refused to bow down consecrated, separated. Yeah, there was punishment for that. They were thrown into a fiery furnace. But they were not burnt. They looked down in there and King Nebuchadnezzar says, there's a fourth man in there and he likens him to the Son of God. When they brought them out, the Bible says that not even their clothes smelt like flames or fire. You only get to experience that kind of supernatural in your life if you're willing to consecrate yourself and set yourself aside from everybody else. Because when everybody else bows down, you stand up. And that's the only time you get to see the supernatural and the miraculous take place. We know that Jesus separated himself from society for 40 days, fasting and praying before his extraordinary ministry began. And there's a man that we're going to read about in Judges chapter 13. We're going to read about the beginning of his life. I'll talk about some of his life here in just a moment. Not a lot of it because most of you know this story. But this is a man that had a unique gift and a unique calling on his life. And this calling required him to be different from everybody else. And so Judges chapter 13, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Judges 13, 1 through 5 and it says and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord so the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years there was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah and his wife was barren and had no children and the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her behold you are barren and have not born children but you shall conceive and bear a son therefore be careful And drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. You see, now it makes a little bit more sense to you. Samson. From the moment he is born, he is separated and consecrated. He does not have a choice in this matter. Listen to me. Your free will is the very thing, that gift from God is the very thing that will get you in trouble with God if you're not careful. Nobody wants to hear this. Nobody wants to hear this. This isn't fun. I'm telling you, you have a battle between your flesh and your spirit right now. And some of the things that you're wanting to hold on to in your life that do not glorify God and do not build up your testimony, that free will that he's given you will be the very thing that separates you from God if you're not careful. From the moment he was born, he didn't have a choice. He was called to take the Nazarite vow. Because God was going to do supernatural things through him to defeat the Philistines. And I don't have time to go through all of the the the, the 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 story and all the things that he had to go through, but, but here's what we know. As he grew older, as long as Samson stayed true to the Nazarite vow, he was powerful and he was anointed by God. But at the moment that he broke that vow, his strength was gone. When he shared his secret about his hair, and that's where God empowered him through that. Listen, there's no strength in the hair, there's strength in the vow. There's strength in the consecration. There's strength when you say, I'm different, I'm abnormal, I'm not like everybody else. I handle life differently. When stressful moments come, I, I, I don't respond like everybody else. I handle them differently. When I'm in public, when I'm in a restaurant, you, you know, listen to me. I'm going to say it. I said it first service, and I thought, man, I'm not going to use that again. But, but I'm going to use it again. Listen, just because there's a restaurant attached to that bar doesn't mean you need to go spend time sitting at the bar. There's a reason there's a restaurant. That's where the family can go. And if you don't want your kids learning to grow up and sit at the bar, then don't you sit at the bar. Really? That's what you amen me on? I've been preaching my guts out up here, and that's what you choose? (laughs) Our flesh is our worst enemy. Satan gets way too much credit sometimes. My worst enemy is my flesh because it's that sense of entitlement that I'm a grown man and I get to. But if I want to experience the extraordinary in my life, then I've gotta be willing to consecrate myself and set myself aside. I can't look like society looks. We can't control the extraordinary. We just can't. Samson didn't have the ability to provide supernatural strength for himself. Decisions that he made released the power of God on his life, but he did not have the ability to provide supernatural strength for himself, but he did have the ability to look different and to act different from everyone else. And as long as he did, God empowered him. Church, same thing applies to our lives. When we walk in holiness, when we walk in a way that pleases our God, when we consecrate ourselves, it releases power on our lives. God says, I will now bless you with the supernatural for you to use. The, The extraordinary, it belongs to God. I can't muster that up. I can't create it. When I lay hands on people to pray for them, there is no power inside of me that's generated from within me to bring healing. But I know this, when I consecrate myself and then I lay hands on somebody that I'm just conduit for the power of God to work through me and to bring healing into somebody's life. And I believe that. And if you don't believe in that, you're in the wrong church, man. Because I'm telling you, I believe in supernatural power that only comes from God. But it only happens. It only happens if I'm willing to consecrate myself and separate myself. The extraordinary belongs to Him. But the ordinary, mundane stuff, it belongs to us. We get to control what our ordinary looks like. We do. We get to control what our ordinary looks like. And my ordinary for me and my house, it does not look like this society. It doesn't. Does I'm not going to. I'm not gonna cave. I'm not gonna give in. I don't care how bad this nation becomes. And listen, I love the United States of America. I do, I do. But I don't care if we turn our backs on God, if this nation continues down the path, I'll tell you one thing, Rocky McKinley will not. I will not. We get to control what our ordinary looks like and it will either look like the world or it will reflect Christ. Second Corinthians 6 and 17 says, therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. Now listen, I I know that this this raises this, this very stressful situation in our minds because we we are called to be light and darkness. And if we're to separate ourselves from unbelievers, how how does that look in our lives? Listen close to me. Our fellowship, and I use that word very loosely, but our fellowship with unbelievers has to be intentional. It's evangelistic in nature. In other words, you don't go sit at the restaurant and drink with them in order to save them. You let them see a different side of you. You let them see light in the middle of darkness. When you fellowship with those that are not part of the kingdom of God, it has to be intentional that you are building a relationship for the purpose of being a light in darkness and pur- uh, for, for sharing your testimony with them and letting your life be a testimony to them. It is evangelistic in nature and it is for the saving of their soul. Now listen, you will have plenty of time to get to know that person at the moment they give their heart to Christ and now you're called to disciple them. But we don't even have time to get into that today because the church has stopped discipling. Let's don't. Let's just keep moving. But when it comes to the ways of the world... We're called to separate ourselves, come out from among the unbelievers. Venting and re- retaliating on Facebook, let me tell you, I'm about, I'm about sick of that. Because it resembles what they would do, not what Christ would do. Let me tell you, before you post anything on Facebook, why don't you pray about it first? And I don't mean everything has to be spiritual. Lord knows, I don't put everything spiritual up. But before you get out there and you just put it out there for the whole world to see that your whole world is falling apart, why would they want what you have? Why would they want a relationship with Jesus Christ when your life doesn't look any different than theirs? Caring more about the raise or the promotion than you do your own family, it's ordinary to the world. But in the kingdom of God, it says, no, it's God, family, then career. That's what I'm making my ordinary look like we've got to look and we've got to act differently at the risk of being a little too vulnerable i want to make one other reference to the tv show the walking dead listen i went 4 years hiding my obsession with the show <laughs> never made a mention of it from the pulpit ever And twice in the past two weeks, I've made mention of it. And I do not suggest anybody on this planet to get interested in that show. But I do wanna refer back to a scene. In season one, the survivors are trapped in a building in downtown Atlanta and, and two of the team members They need to go outside to where the walkers are. Now listen, for those of you that don't know the show, don't get interested in the show, but the walkers are zombies. That's what they are. They're basically, you're walking through the zombie apocalypse is what's happening. So these survivors, they have to go outside. The two of them need to go outside to where the walkers are at because they're on a mission. And and, and the walkers can smell them and, and so they take blood off a dead walker, I don't know how you become more dead than being a walker, but, but anyway, it's a dead walker that's laying there and they, they put on these coats and they smear, as you can see in this picture, they smear blood from this dead walker so that they can smell like them. They're trying to camouflage their scent and then they take body parts and I'm telling you, this is rough stuff, I know, just stay with me, I promise you we'll get there. And they walk through the streets of Atlanta and the walkers leave them alone. They think that they're just one of them. And they walk through the streets, untouched, unharmed, because they smell like them. They kind of look like them. They even camouflage the way they walk and they kind of drag themselves as they walk through the streets. They walk like them. So here's my point. Everywhere that I go, I see dead people. I walked into the mall the other day and sat down. In every direction I looked, there were dead people. They're walking around. They look like they have life. But spiritually speaking, they're dead. I'm not celebrating it. It's heartbreaking. I was in Tampa last week, stuck in traffic. Out of all four directions out of my car, I see dead people. I know that by the way that they respond to stressful driving and traffic in Tampa. I've walked into the high school, basketball practice. I see dead students. And my concern is this, is that sometimes when we walk out of these doors as Christians, as believers, they can't tell us apart from the other dead people. And that's alarming. It's alarming because I believe God's called us out of the ordinary, that we're not supposed to blend in with society. That society doesn't get to dictate my life as a Christian. That I'm bound to higher standards because I'm part of a kingdom and not a society. And if we will ever learn, church, separate ourselves, to consecrate ourselves. I'm not asking us to become rude and and, and I'm not asking us to shun others that are not part of the, the kingdom. That's not what I'm asking. But when it comes to our lifestyles, when it comes to the way we respond to stress, when we respond to life circumstances, when it comes to all of that stuff in life, we must look different than they do. Because they've got to see light shining out of our lives. They've got to see Jesus when they see us. And sometimes we're right beside them and they don't see Jesus. We look just like them. And that breaks my heart because if that's me, I want to change. I want to change. I don't want to be the same. I don't want, I I just. I want to kill my flesh and let my spirit man soar. And I just don't want to look like them. I want them to see Jesus in me and want what I have. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC We pray you have been blessed by today's message We would love to meet you in person For service times and directions Log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org Or call the church office at 352-472-3284 Thanks again for listening Destiny Community Church For Life's Journey